Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Squatch Radio. My name is Connor Malley, and I'm your host. Before we get into the show, I wanted to share a little bit about me and why Squatch Radio exists. So I've been a passionate squash player for over 20 years, but what makes my path slightly different from your average squash player is I've also made squash my career. I've worn almost every hat and worked in almost every role in the industry. Some quick examples are I've gone from being a volunteer at a professional event to then becoming the CEO of the US Open. I've gone from trying to make Team USA to then becoming the director of all national team activity for US squash. And I've certainly gone from just playing on squash courts to focusing on how the sport can grow in the United States. What has been a big part of fueling my passion all these years are the fascinating, passionate, and dedicated people involved in our sport. So Squash Radio, well, that's just a way to try and help share those stories. We hope you like it. And if you do, please share, comment on any of the social media platforms or email us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Our biggest challenge is trying to get the word out. So any help is much appreciated. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Before we get started, I have one more quick share. I started this podcast over three years ago, and the last time I posted an episode was in January 2018. Around that time, several factors pulled me away from continuing the podcast. In no particular order, there was burned out, increased work demands, a death in the family, as well as a loved one battling cancer. This past February and March, I finally saw a path where it might be possible to continue podcasting. Then our world changed with the impact of the global pandemic coupled with the aftermath of George Floyd and the reconciling the social injustice of our past and current events. It just didn't seem like it was a time I could carve out for Squash Radio. I'm still not sure if it's the right time, but I believe and hope that some of these stories might inspire one person and that might make all the difference. So here I am trying to give it another shot. That said, please note that this interview with Renato was done in late February. Keep that in mind for our conversation. What about this? This call is being recorded. For some quick background on our guests in this episode, here's a quick overview. We talk with Renato Paiva, who is the CEO or executive director of Access Youth Academy, based in San Diego, California. Access Youth is a nonprofit after-school youth program combining squash training and academic enrichment. They are part of the network of similar programs under the SEA umbrella, or the Squash Education Alliance. Renato has been leading the charge in San Diego since 2007. On top of his role with Access Youth, He's been raising awareness for the sport on the West Coast to inspire more growth of squash. His path, he's originally from Brazil, and as a junior squash player, Renato played for the Brazilian national team. After graduating from college in Brazil, he made the move to the United States, coaching at Harvard University before making the move out West. Renato has boundless energy and channels it to drive the growth of squash on the West Coast and propelled the lives of his students to a better tomorrow. Here's our conversation. Hey there, Squash fans. Welcome back to another episode of Squash Radio. I'm your host, Connor O'Malley. And we're very excited to have another guest with us today calling in from San Diego, California. And that is Renato. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Connor. Thanks for having me. So I have to admit something. I think this is definitely the first time for Squash Radio. But I think even for myself is talking to someone that is a TV character inspired person. And I'm talking about the show that you're on, or sorry, inspired with Little America. And so, you know, just tell us about your experience with that and how the whole project team came together. Sure. So I think the whole project came from an article in a magazine. The magazine is called Epic Magazine. And they highlighted six <clears throat> stories of amazing people, immigrants that came to this country and uh, had a, an amazing life and an amazing story. And one of them is Reina Pacheco. A lot of uh, you, you know her and a lot of people might know her as well. She was one of the students from Access Youth, Youth Academy. 
And uh, that ma magazine article was, uh, all of them, all the eight of them were selected to become an Apple TV show. Wow. So, so they produced this amazing series called Little America that is getting a lot of, a lot of good re reviews. And then there was this very interesting period of producing it and who was going to be on it. And, and the outcome is, I, I am very biased about it, Connor, but I think it's <laughs> fantastic. I think it looks great. Yeah, I, I got a chance to watch it and it was a great episode. I think it really, it's interesting. And I wonder what your perspective is on, think of all the movies or, or TV shows that you've seen inspired by real life. And now you're actually, it must've been very surreal seeing your life portrayed on screen and so kind of give both perspectives of like what was it like seeing someone act your part in your role and how that maybe compares to other things you've seen yeah so that is the the surreal i think is the right word because for, for a lot of people this is what they see on a 30 minute show and for me it's what i lived for, for many years <laughs> yeah. um, so it's very and it's reina did a fantastic job of um, of telling the producers what has happened because, Connor, some scenes are incredibly real and verbatim stuff that I said. And I can give oh, you a wow. couple of examples. So I am a huge Boston Celtics fan. So I like, instead of quoting Muhammad Ali and quoting all this, I quote basketball Celtics players. Oh, so I quote, I, I quote Kevin Garnett. And that is a real thing I did all the time. So why does that... And then when I'm watching the show... I the my character says like the great Kevin Garnett says, and I just fell out of my chair. I just <laughs> could not believe it. That's one great one. The other one that I really liked was I often take my students into knowing the courts really well and knowing your racket really well, kind of like a more spiritual way. Mm -hmm. I do believe that the court kind of talks to you back, and maybe I'm getting a little bit too deep on those things. But the reality is, I think there's a Every court's different and every story is different. So I took Reina on the on after practice and kind of like we no more shoes, just socks on. And I said, this is the court and the court has history. Look at the ball marks. Look at this. And they showed that on the episode. And I thought I thought Reina did a great job telling them what has happened. And, and the episode, I think, is beautiful because of that. Yeah, it's it's certainly exciting. I think any time that you know me and you and the rest of the squash community that we see squash breaking through into mainstream, it's just so exciting. And I think this is just another, if not maybe one of the, I mean, the first time on the big screen seeing it totally highlighted. So it's so exciting to watch, and then you know even seeing the you know going through the tournament and that kind of stuff. So it was great. So were you? You knew this was going on, and what were you? Was you know, between yourself and Raina, were you involved in sort of shaping it at all? Or was this more of came, coming out as a surprise of like, we, we've done it and then let's just see how it turns out? Of course, we had to sign releases and uh, all that type legal stuff. But Raina was the driver and she is the character. She's the main. I mean, I happen to be part of her story. So to be very clear that this is her, it's her story. And I happened just to coach her in, in, in the time while she was here in San Diego. So... She was the one that communicated with the producers. She's the one that did the whole, the whole, there's a lot of other talks about the glass court and the casting and all the stuff that was yeah. a little bit involved. But no, I, I, when I watched it, it's funny, I was traveling and I was in New York for the Jubilee, for the SCA uh, big weekend. And I, and I just woke up at four in the morning the day they came out and said, I got to watch this right away. And I, I cried for 30 minutes. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. And you know, I'm sort of realizing that for people who might not be as familiar with with Reina's story, let's let's just take a, a moment to sort of acknowledge. I mean, she really is such an inspiring person. And talk about how, because this was was this early on at your your journey at Access Youth. Yeah, the, she was from my original group, my first group, wow. which is even more surreal that a a a. a player, a human like Raina comes to us when our first cohort is just a gift from God. So Raina is um, originally from Mexico and she started playing late squash. She started playing at 14 and really fell in love with the game right on. She wasn't that good in the beginning, but worked extremely hard. And for sure, the most hard work player I've ever coached in, in my life and really pushed. She pushed... Uh, 
me to be a better coach. She pushed everyone else around her. She made our team much better throughout the years. She was our captain for her entire time at Access. And she won nine urban national titles between teams and individuals. Then she, she became a Gates Millennium Scholar, where she gets her education paid by, by the Gates Foundation and Bill and Melinda Gates. She ended up going to Columbia, where she played squash at the top three positions most of her time there. And then she became a professional squash player. So she was the first urban squash uh, player to play pro squash. She was on the tour for about two years, and uh, she played the big events in the world. I was lucky enough to see her play the TOC and play the uh, NetSuites, and it was just so much fun to follow our little Reina to play in the big matches. And then she decided to stop playing professional, and now she works for Goldman Sachs in New York City. Yeah, I mean, what what a uh, just incredible journey, and and really, I think the highlight what I've seen of hers, she's she was so much in the driver's seat on all of that, and I think it's it couldn't have been done without the support of people like yourself and the network of the squash community, but. At an early age, I was like, she's, she's switched on. She is driving this, this train. Yes, she's the real deal. We were just lucky to be part of her story and part of her journey. Uh, we talk a lot about you know, um, the, early, the early, early days and w how much we've worked. But in reality, we just facilitate. We are the platform mm -hmm. for her to go forward. She's the one that put all the work in. She's the one that did all the work. So um, we were lucky enough. I'm lucky enough to be part of that story. Yeah. Well, let's expand on that a little bit more. You know, you're the executive director or CEO of Access Youth, and which is an integral part of the urban squash narrative. But, you know, talk a little bit about your origin story of what inspired you to start Access Youth and where it was and where it is today. I know we're going to talk, we're going to spend some time talking about where the future is, which is beyond exciting, sure. but, but let's just catch the, the listeners up to where you are today. Sure. So I was a squash coach in college. I was coaching in Boston. And then I was coaching in, 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 a, in a game. And then this character with non-matching socks called Greg Zaff leans in one day and says with that big voice, Renato, you are the wrong job. And I'm <laughs> like, who is this guy? Who is this mythical guy? And then he gave me his card. and says, come see me next week in my office here at Squashbusters. And I got really puzzled by it. So. I went to visit him, and then I, he, he told me for about an hour meeting and how hard it is to work with urban squash and how hard it is to fundraise and how difficult mm -hmm. it is to get the kids to play quality squash. And, but in the end of the day, it will change their lives and your life. Mm -hmm. And Connor, I'll tell you, I, 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 it mutated my, my DNA. That, that was the key factor in my life because – I came back home and I told my wife, I said, Kim, I think I found what I want to do. I was, I was coaching at Harvard and I thought I was doing great. So I had a great success, a great future ahead of me, but that wasn't it. All right. But so you're, you're talking with Greg Zaff, who is essentially the godfather of urban squash and the CEO of Squash Busters. But then how'd you go from Boston to the West Coast? Yeah. So after the chat with Greg, there was no job offer, but luckily... A board was formed here in San Diego, and they were looking for an ED. There was an ad on the Squash magazine, and they were looking for someone to be the first employee. I put my hand up. I flew in. I interviewed, and, I, and they liked me. So I ended up taking the job and moving back to the West Coast. My wife's from Orange County, so I was now finally in a place that I thought I could raise a family and be here for long term. And, and that was it. That's 13 years ago. It's funny you mentioned that Squash Magazine. That's how I got one of my jobs too. When I started working at US Squash, I was in Chicago at the time and I saw a job a job listing in Squash Magazine. So who knew? A lot of great things can happen just by, by reading Absolutely. it. So you know, walk me through where 13 years ago you get there and where are you the first employee essentially? Yes. And you're in the... Yeah. So when I got here, San Diego, as you can imagine, is not a big hub of squash at all. I have, I have this kind of bad joke that squash in San Diego is beach volleyball in Alaska. This, this, shouldn't, <laughs> this is not a place that squash should, by uh, net, 
normally it's not a place that we have a lot of history but there is a squash club here there's some players there's some great people here playing squash and i took the job and then first day i find i walk into the squash club where the founder greg sherman was on his on his desk and i say greg renato here reporting for my first day of work he gives me a, a bank card with there were some funds raised uh, already and says thanks mate good luck and, and i say yeah but i i am a, i'm a squash coach I don't really know what I, what I'm gonna do. Like, and he says, "Yeah, it's exactly what we hire you for. <laughs> Go figure it out." <laughs> so it was, it was was actually great because we had no kids, we had no program, we had no we had, curriculum, had nothing. So I went to IKEA. I bought a desk. I put a desk together and I put it behind a rack of clothes at the squash club. And I stay until the rest of the day until 5 p.m. thinking, what am I going to do? I was in a great place of work, and now I changed to this gamble. What am I going to do? So I called Greg Zaff, and I said, Greg, you gave me the inspiration. Now help me. So I, I flew back the next yeah. day to Boston, and I spent some days with him learning on the early stages of Squash Busters and what should we do. So he's still my, my Yoda. He's still my guy. He still helps me. And, and, and we've, I think we're doing okay now. We've done some good work on this past 13 years. Well, that's, that definitely resonates with me. I had a similar experience when I was in Chicago and, and trying to get Metro Squash off the ground. I literally went to Barnes and Nobles. I bought five books on how to start a nonprofit for dummies, uh, just to get a sense of the, the organizational structure. But like you identified, there's a huge curriculum and squash aspect to it that you, you also need to solve for. Mm -hmm. So and we had some of the same challenges out in Chicago where if you can rewind the clock to 2003, people didn't think that a, a program like that could be mm -hmm. started in Chicago. And now what I, because of people like yourself, who've really just broken down those barriers and proven that yes, it can be successful. And the good news is for those people who are starting urban squash chapters today, the umbrella organization of SCA squash education Alliance makes, makes me the journey that you and I faced uh, less of a hurdle for sure. And that's a huge credit to what it is. And I think let, let's spend a little bit of time. Cause I know you've, there's such a powerful network there these days that though they're independent programs, mm -hmm. there is much more of this cohesion. And so give some perspective on what you think the SCA is doing today that is helping you and where would you potentially like to see it going in the future? Yeah. So SCA is a huge asset for all of us around the country and the world. 20 programs in the U.S. and five international. So SCA is a huge asset of knowledge and uh, expertise and actually assistance to get this, this ball rolling. They have a great professional, Tim, on the helm and doing great work as the ED of SCA. But Becky and Sonia, that these are our professionals, and Maggie, they are actually fantastic in what, what, what they do. So it is much easier now than kind of figure it out as we were trying back back 15 plus years ago for you guys and 13 for us. I think the SCA is just going to grow more and more. I do feel that, you know, they we talk a lot, all the all the squash programs and SCA, we talk about how can we shape this to be the best resource for everyone. It's hard, Connor, because there are the big programs on big cities mm -hmm. like New York, Philly, Chicago, and, and Boston. Those are the marquee programs. And then there are the mid-sized programs and then a bunch of little ones. And it's so different mm -hmm. from one to another. So how can someone look at Squash Busters in three locations, their own facilities, and, and say, I'm going to start this in a little town of X? It's hard. It's just too far apart. So that's a struggle SEA and the network is figuring it out and how to kind of support all of them, not equally, but in a meaningful way. We don't have the answer yet. We're trying to figure this out. But I think it's going the right direction. We just had the Jubilee, 25 years of urban squash, and SCA raised over, I think, $3 million bucks, I believe. So that's a great boost for, for them to continue to help. So I'm really happy, and I'm, I'm looking forward for the next decade or so. I think we can do a lot of things together. If you had to be, and, and before I ask this question, because I was at the Jubilee with you, mm -hmm. and what what a just spectacular moment to celebrate you mm. know, the 25th anniversary and 
it was as far as I know the largest squash event in history mm-hmm. of our dinner. And I think of all the the people from around the globe that were brought together, mm-hmm. and it was just very inspiring. So if you had to, because uh, I know that you 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 think big, if you had to like forecast or envision where could squash be in ten or fifteen years, where would you uh, aspirationally like it to be? Such a good question. So I think, of course, the number is going to continue to grow fast. But but I I maybe I'm getting on a on a kind of hot water here. But I would like to see quality of our our kids around the world to play better squash. That would be something that we haven't. We have some pockets of excellence with players like Jesse Pacheco and Chris Fernandez mm-hmm. and Reina Pacheco. Those are amazing players, and we have more in the network in the past twenty five years. But that's not enough. We, we can do better. Mm-hmm. If you go to the JCTs today, the top 32 players in each division, there's not one urban squash player. And that's a problem. So although I would like to see the network to grow, not only in the U.S., in markets in the U.S., like San Diego used to be, a very small one, to other countries in, in, in the world, but I also would like to see the quality of squash being played in urban squash programs to be much higher. I see the kids from Colombia, Squash Urbano Colombia, from Esteban. These are amazing players. I see the, um, a, a starting program from Carlos doing El Salvador. These kids are real, real players. And we are having yeah. a hard time to do the same thing in, in the U.S. So I would love to see. And we, have, we are talking about it. We're hiring some great coaches. Street Squash hired Simba to do some great work in, in Harlem. And I know there's a lot of good movement happening, but that would be a dream. Because the reality is this. We have a lot of amazing athletes in our hands. Why can we translate that to success in, in the junior scene? And to be honest, beyond that, more great college players, more professional squash players. That's what we were trying to do in San Diego. We are going to now, we talk more in, in the future a little bit about what we're doing for the, the next 10 years of access. but. We want to have a, a higher caliber of players, and that's something that I, I'm going to go back to coaching more, Connor, because it's where I love to do. I was about to ask about that. Yeah, so I want because that was obviously your, one of your core passions is, yeah. is the coaching aspect, yeah. right? And I think the role of a coach, I was watching one of your episodes on squash skills, which definitely resonated with me. It's like the role of a coach, I think, in any sport is actually much more than just transfer of knowledge of a specific mm-hmm. skill, right? Yeah. Like it's it's almost in order to, to have the best athlete development, it's a holistic approach. Absolutely. And I think that's something that you that you have been practicing for a long time. So I'd love it's hard to distill or boil down like your core philosophies, I'm sure in like a, you know, a, a timely matter because it, it's it's the repetitiveness, it's it's in, in embedding it over time. Yeah. But like what what do you what do you try and emphasize most with your players and you could use reina because i know i mean you're talking about developing an elite player and you you sort of you got that right off the bat i mean reina broke all the barriers and and ascended to the top of the 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 junior rankings collegiate rankings and joined the tour Mm -hmm. so let me tell you a few things about this because this is something i'm very passionate about the number one is information nowadays is public I feel that if you want to learn how to play a straight drive, oh my goodness, you can do that from the moon because it's public. You can go to squash skills. You can, you can really learn how to play squash online. That's not a problem. So what makes a player develop faster and better? And that's the role of a coach as well as a few other things. But the coach has to play a big role in it, but not the actual technique only, but the other aspects mm-hmm. of it, which is the the most important thing them all, which I spoke at Squash Skills, but I, I speak about this often. It's all about connection, Connor. All about connection. You're going to meet the player where they are, and then you're going to take them step by step on their journey. And when I coached Reina, I did not know what she wanted to become. And then, then it becomes a 50-50 relationship. Meaning, mm-hmm. if she wants to play hard, she's actually driving me to coach her hard. And then I'm coaching her to play hard, and then the cycle starts. So in, sometimes I see um, parents or, or players or, co- or, or kids saying, hey, I hired this great coach, therefore I'm going to be great. Actually, it doesn't work that way. 
because the player is 50% of the whole, maybe 51%, to be honest, because they drive the entire thing, not the coach. The coach is going to react to what the kid gives, gives them. So, and, and, and then the relationship starts. I got a text from a great, now he's, I think, 24, 25 years old. He played for Williams College. He's a, a, a kid from San Diego. And he watched the uh, um, Little America show, and he texted me. This was like three days mm -hmm. ago. He said, Renato, I just watched the show, and I loved it. I just want to let you know that those lessons that you, you mentioned to Reina on that episode, I, I have them in my heart too. And I got so mm. happy because it wasn't the squash yeah. playing. It was the lessons off the course. And that's the privilege that coaches have with the kids. And I think we just got to explore them much more. And we have great people in squash, great coaches. And, and sometimes we just get a little too narrow-sighted on, on coaching them the, the boasts or the lobs. Give them real lessons, inspire them. And, and by the way, I'm much more inspired by coaching these kids now than I was prior to that. So it's a two-way road, and I think we should explore them much better. That's how I think we develop mm -hmm. human beings that happen to play squash. Yeah, that definitely resonates with me. And I, I, I came to squash relatively late to a lot of other players or, or good players. Like I didn't pick a touch a racket until I was 16. And my entree into the sport was actually teen squash. I went to a boarding school. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a very different perspective of like, you know, my, I wanted to get better so I could do better for the team. And I think that was a contributing factor towards why I still love the sport so much today. Mm -hmm. And I give that in contrast to, you know, I think you're uh, talking about the player needs to drive the process mm -hmm. to a certain respect. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the downsides I see of, of the junior squash community today is when it's parent-driven or coach-driven mm -hmm. and the player is not totally involved, they'll participate. They'll, they may even perform excellently. However, that then stops when the outside influence stops. So you get the college and college being the end game versus for me, this is part of my life mm -hmm. and it's what's driven how I've, I've given, I've gotten so much from the sport that any way I can give back in any way, shape, or form, I try and do. Yeah, if squash is played with the right intention, and don't get me wrong, it has to, a lot of it comes to college squash because of the nature of what it is. But but if you play, mm -hmm. if you play, or if you're taught around the game as a game is part of your life, because it keeps your body and your mind sane, and and eventually it will continue. If it's only an end game to go to college, as we know, that happens for most of the kids. They stop playing and they play for a little bit and they stop. And and squash is a, is a, is our vehicle to teach kids how to be better human beings. And nowadays, especially now nowadays, we need a lot of that opportunity to teach them to do the right thing. And we should continue to think about that as a vehicle, not only a means to get to college. Which, by the way, it should mm -hmm. be both. But it should the the real one should be a vehicle to teach them life lessons. Well, let's drill down into that. So for you and when you're coaching your students at Access mm -hmm. Youth, like what are some of the, the core things that you're trying to reinforce every day? So it starts with this one. So this is one of the Renato's bad, bad sayings again. Small things. Oh, uh, yeah. I want more of these. Yeah, yeah. Small things every day for a long period of time. So we, we want to create change in ourselves, in our potential future. We got to be consistent in what we do. So uh, a, here's a funny story for you. When I started Access, I was 26, 27 years old. And so I looked young and I'm going to these people's homes, the kids we are about to recruit. And I'm saying, hey, my name is Renato. I'm from Brazil. And I'm doing this program for 12 years. And I'm going to stay with your kid from seventh grade, two years post-college. I'm going to help them to go to college. And it's free for you for 12 years. And these families are going, oh, my God, this guy is on drugs. This guy is, doesn't yeah. know what he's talking about. And my answer to that, and I was, I was really young, so no one really trusted me. So I said, mom, dad, for the, for the kids, time will tell. We're going to be here yeah. five years from now, 10 years from now, and on. So, and that's what I tell the kids. Be consistent. Have great plan for your, for your, for your routines, for your work at school at home for your squash, and then live by it. Be good at it. 
and that's the premise of everything, which includes when we go to a squash practice and I say, guys, you have seven minutes to get changed and be on court ready to go. I mean seven minutes. Otherwise, we're wasting time on chatter at the locker room. And people get good at this. And then what happens is a snowball that goes the good way because you start to kind of be efficient and be driven and be pur- have purpose in everything that, that you do. And that, that's why when the Reina was in our, our team, she was one out of, I don't know, nine girls that, was, that were fantastic. We won the under-19 division when we were 14 because everyone felt that momentum moving forward. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, it's a kind of like a, as excellence thing. Let's really try to be the best we can be at all times. And if people buy into this, then the peer pressure is positive. And the coaches mm-hmm. are just kind of elevating everyone together. And that's the, the vibe that um, I would like to continue to do at Axis. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, it's, it's shaping that culture for success. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I, I want to hear some other Renato sayings. And, and I think, you know, g- give us the, the ones that you enjoy. And then also, which ones get the, the most amount of eye rolls? Let's, let's hear the spectrum. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so I've given you the, the beach volleyball and the squash, the small things every day. It's funny because I'm going to keep thinking about this, but I have one student. Her name is Hannah Baucha. Hannah was the same one year after Reina, and she ended up playing at Dartmouth, and now she is working at Stanford doing some great stuff. And every time I came with my stuff, with my things, uh, she said, hey, here comes Renato's joke. And become the Renato's joke was the, every time Renato said something was not funny or not good. But, <laughs> but it's just like, like a dad figure, they, you make fun of dad, making the joke, the dad jokes. Yeah. And, yeah. and the little things like, I don't drink alcohol. I think yeah. most of our kids that they they don't drink much alcohol or, or any because because it's not wasn't part of the upbringing. That's the role of the coach, the role model that I think we should continue to try to do the best we can. As I remember, Connor, more of my of my nuggets, I'll keep giving it to you. I, I also want to shift into just to give more more context and background for people is clearly you're you're so instrumental at developing that culture from a coaching perspective but then there's also that's what happens on the day-to-day basis of ultimately shaping the kids mm-hmm. lives but then there's a business aspect to this mm-hmm. right and it's the the talk about your journey there of forming the organization yeah. and and both the uh, if you can share some of the struggles but also some of the successes yeah i can surely more struggles than than successes so a nonprofit is a regular business like everyone else. The only difference is that when we make profits, we just don't take dividends. We don't pay ourselves more. It stays on the nonprofit. But to be successful, I think you have to run it the most, the most um, efficient way possible. And the other thing is there's a board above you. So they, they dictate to the direction of, of how we want to do business. But, and I'm really fortunate, Connor, that I have, I have a fantastic board chair. Blair Sedler is a long is a squash player for life. Went to Amherst, was on the board of U.S. Squash, and has been my board chair for most of my time at Access. And he is my partner in crime. He's my everything. So I'm very lucky to have a a, a leader with me that's also a visionary, dreams big, works very hard. So so the struggles I feel that is always around fundraising and scaling. Because what comes first, a good program or money? You can have not have a program without money. So is, is that kind of like conundrum that we live on? We, we do not have the privilege of, of making money on squash where I live easier. It takes a lot of time to raise. Reason why, Connor, we are the first urban squash program that they removed the name squash in our, in our title. We are called Access yeah. Youth Academy. And we used to be called Surf City Squash, so which was an odd name to start with. But we changed and we removed uh, we moved squash because we believe squash to where we live is not the main focus. And it's funny enough, the year we did that, we raised the most money, and it's been really good thus far. So that's one thing: lack of courts. There's so many variables on running a nonprofit. And I'm not even talking about the struggles of the kids. The I'm talking about the yeah. business side. There's 
building a staff and there's really a lot of a lot of points and topics that can be a great success and but also can be a big struggle what's your 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 average operating budget per year yeah currently we are we are about seven hundred thousand dollars first year was 118 so now when you're 13 it's seven hundred thousand wow and and what was the starting point of the number of kids you had in the program back then and to and contrast to now? The first cohort was two classes of nine kids. So we had 18 kids on the first year, and now we have 120. Wow. Wow. Well, this is a good transition to, I you know, there's some exciting news I know we, we want to share mm-hmm. about going on there, but quickly, because I know... You know, I had the the pleasure of uh, being at U.S. Squash when when Blair was there too, yep. and and one of the books that he encouraged us all to read and we use as sort of a backbone was the Jim Collins Good to Great, yes. specifically for the nonprofit sector, yep. and it's still to this day the book I gift the most. Yeah. You know, anyone I I hear and actually mostly to anyone I hear joining the board of directors mm-hmm. to really because if people can have a a, a diverse skill set like whether it's in business or medicine mm-hmm. or whatever but if you know joining a board to me is a, is a serious commitment and i think that that book helps give context but also shared language and so i just wanted it's a great book to, yeah i'm sure blair took you through it uh step by step of course and, but going into i'd love to share uh, there's a bright future ahead of for access youth and you know why don't you share the highlights but then we'll go into the struggle yeah so um about five years ago I proposed on a board meeting that we scaled our program and trying to find a permanent home. So we've had a, which the journey is basically a combination of struggles. We we had a, access was on the ballot proposition for a partnership between public and private funds five, four and a half years ago, five years ago. We were about to get two and a half million dollars of funding and exactly 32 days prior to receiving the money, the principal of a partner school where the school is going to be placed, our, our, our building is going to be placed, left, and our money, our project was dead. So the, wow. this was after drawings were made and we spent some real money. So that was the first kind of like we left on the altar big time. That was, that was hurtful. That, that, to pick ourselves up after that was hard, and we did. And then we had another, we had a philanthropist that kind of pledged to give us a piece of land, and he kind of, did not make his mind from for a couple of years and end up not giving us the land nor the money and that was the second time we went down the road with no success when we we believed that that was the right path to go so we stayed on it and now we just crossed the finish line by close our financing that was about 22 days ago we closed our, our financing and we raised some real money. So now we are building a eight-court facility, four classrooms, seven single single courts and one doubles in the, the great location. We bought the land already. So we break ground on first week of April now of 2020. And this facility will be an absolutely beacon of hope in the southeast of San Diego, an area that it's very similar to a Bronx or, you know, area that is in need in, in town. People think of San Diego of an, a great city, a beautiful, they're always, always sunny and there's no poverty. Not at all. Tijuana is right here in the border and there's a lot of problems in our city as well that we're here to help make it better. So we're really excited to open this new facility. We have a different different approach, Connor, on how to run the business from now on. Once we open, we scale our numbers up on the program but we also run this this facility as a as 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 a club so if anyone wants to come play are in town and become a member of the access facility they can do that and all the proceeds turn back to the low income students so it's uh we have a big earned revenue plan for the new facility which is very exciting Wow. And I mean, that is, you know, I think that's a, that's a huge milestone for um, any program to achieve. And, you know, those twists and turns that you experience, I think are really, they're the norm. It's, it's not talked about as much. Like we only hear about 
when the money finally gets raised and, and all that stuff. But I mean, that's a five year journey for you of not knowing where it would end up. So, you know, I think that's a testament to the drive of not just yourself, but the the rest of the, the board and the community supporting you. And it's really a network to get it across yeah, the finish line. I, I tell you that the board, I, I, I stand right beside the board on this. The board has been fantastic. Supported the dream the mm-hmm. entire way. When we were not having success, instead of saying, hey, let's stop doing this and go back to our regular work, they said, stay on it. We have, we will make it happen. Yeah. Really inspiring. What if, you know, now looking back, was there any sort of, not secret ingredient, but uh, a strategy or, or something that sort of you guys kept coming back to, 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 to know what the right path was? Or how did you guys approach that? good question i think resiliency is, is one of the things and if you if you really believe you want to do this everyone at some point felt i'm, I'm done i'm not going to pursue this anymore and some said i'm not stopping we were the ones they were saying we're mm-hmm. not stopping so when is your quit date we did not see our quit date coming ever we believed on this deeply so that's one thing if people should they're thinking about opening a nonprofit or building a building or whatever it is. Uh, if you really believe it, just stay, really stay with it. And, and Greg Zaff called, of course, the Yoda of squash always knows it. He said to me, Renato, this, this deal is going to die seven times before you, before you make it. And I think it, I'm, I'm hopeful, hopeful that my number seven reached already. So now I'm going to make this thing work. But, yeah. uh, but that's the, the reality. And those words stayed with me. When we got left in the altar first time, I said, okay, that's death one. Let's keep going. So that's one of them. The second one is bring the right people to your party, meaning get the board to really believe in what you do and make them as excited as you are. Um, That's important because they have a very active say. Not only that, but the people that you're bringing on the project or on your staff, don't settle for, for Bs. Go for As. Dream big. Our world, is, it's so much no's, Connor. We get no for donations. We ask for help and often we get a no. I get a lot of no's, but we happen to appreciate them after a while because, you know, if you really believe on something, you've got to just stay with it. And, and that's the, it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. This world of, of helping students in a non-profit world. But I do believe that makes everyone stronger and better. And also, a lot of support on the other side, which is one of the reasons we can talk a little bit now as well, what I'm doing next starting tomorrow, but keeping yourself healthy, mentally uh, sane and, and happy is key. Otherwise, I don't think I'll last 13 years in this job. Mm-hmm. B- quickly, because before we move on to the next topic, which is, is fascinating, I can't wait to learn more. Mm-hmm. I just want to pause and make sure we acknowledge the some of the significant partners that helped you get to the finish line because I know the city of San Diego is involved in this project. Isn't that right? Is that what I read? Yeah, on the... yeah. So we got some major gifts. I don't think nothing really compares to the big East Coast gifts, but the California Endowment gave us a million dollars. The Alliance Healthcare Foundation was a healthcare foundation that thinks we are preventive to healthcare. So here's another angle that's outside squash. hundred percent. A hundred percent. They yeah. gave us a, a, a million dollar grant, which we are, we were the innovators of the year. So we got this big grant, but the biggest one is the city of San Diego just gave us five and a half million dollars. And it's kind of like weird for me to keep saying those big numbers and thinking, oh, access is doing great. No, these are money that went for the facility to design and build in this facility. Mm-hmm. We are a small to medium nonprofit trying to just raise funds to pay bills on a, on a daily basis. The hustle is real. So, but now um, also, once again, here comes Greg Zaff. He says, once you get bigger, it gets easier because people will success yeah. follow success. You can see a Metro Squash. Metro Squash was a, I think I've been going to Chicago to see you guys' work and David Kay, which is a, an absolute genius. When you guys were still in the kind of the back of a church and you know renting space, and I've been to your new facility many, many, many times, and it's and I think it's easier now because you created like this momentum. We are trying to get there. Yeah, I, you know, I experienced that time and time again, and it, it's the it's the irony of 
when you need the most help is when is when the least amount of people are willing to support yeah. it and it's it's keep it's it's not giving up and those twists and turns that we faced are are very I've experienced many many times over so what I think from a global perspective at all these programs and you mentioned David Kay who's been at Metro Squash 15 years Greg Zaff truly from the beginning 25 years yeah. is there are so many core leaders who have been at their program shepherding it from success to success never giving up and those are long I think they're, I mean, I'm sure you would agree they're extremely rewarding and fulfilling, but also taxing. And so talk a little bit about, you mentioned that you're going on a sabbatical and how that concept came about and then also what you're going to do. Yeah. So let's, I'll, I'll happy to share that, but let me take one instance back in my, in my early days of access. So here I am married with, I think I had one daughter, I have three daughters now, but I think only Marina was born at that time and I'm giving all my time. I'm coaching, I'm driving the van, I'm fundraising, I'm doing the academics and the squash, the whole, the whole spiel. And one day I get home tired and drained and my wife pulls me aside and says, Renato, I need to talk to you. And when the wife says I need to talk to you, you know that's just something usually <laughs> not that good. And she said... What year is this again? Oh, that was on the early years. So this was on the first maybe five years. For sure, the okay. initial... Yeah, and, and she says, I would like, she said, she said 30%. Please leave 30% for me and, the, and your family. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. It shook me. It, it made me realize mm-hmm. that I'm giving everything to, 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 to access and, 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 and it's draining. So the whole point about this is that this job is draining. Not only is it hard to, yeah. r- to raise money and, and run a business like that, but then comes you dealing with people's lives that you you love those kids and love those parents of these kids and you want to help them and it's not easy. So I do think those leaders, not only the leaders of the of the the program, but everyone involved, they're amazing and then they're, they're really amazing. So kudos to Greg and George and Tim and Steve and everyone that's running a program deserves a lot of credit. And I'm just really fortunate to be doing this work here. So that brings me to the next, your next question is, what am I doing? In San Diego, there's a foundation, which I'm going to give them a shout out. It's called the Fieldstone Network. Fieldstone build homes. And then years ago, instead of giving checks to nonprofits, they said, let's do this in a more meaningful way. And they changed the, the way, instead of giving money to nonprofits, they were investing on nonprofit leaders. So most of the nonprofit leaders in San Diego, in Orange County. Very interesting. Oh, brilliant. Wow. Brilliant. So I, I started going to them, I think, on my, on my sixth or seventh year of access, which is the seven-year itch where you start people start losing the, leaving their jobs because it's too hard. And they really picked me up. They kind of help. It's very confidential. It's a peer-to-peer work. It's just mind-blowing how amazing they run their work and really helpful for us. They are on the grind every day. And they do a lot of great programs. And one program they do is the in partnership with the Claire Rose Foundation. And we, they do the, the sabbatical, which is they, they get a couple of, of EDs or CEOs of nonprofits in the area. And they offer them a 90-day sabbatical where they, they're not asking wow. to do any type of work. It's actually lack of work. Not allowed to answer emails. Not allowed to answer phone calls. Zero. 90 days cold. That way you can really rejuvenate and re-energize and go back to your mission, to your purpose. And so I applied for this program and I was lucky enough to get it. Just one more thing before telling you what I'm going to do. The, the bench, the, the other folks on the nonprofit, then they, they had to step up to kind of learn to run the, to run the organization for the next 90 days. So my second in, in command is going to be now doing, doing the ED for, 30, for, for, for three months. And the board steps up. There's money to support and coaching support. So basically, this model that the Claros and Fieldstone are doing, it's something that I would love to share with SCA because I think folks yeah. should definitely think about uh, the, the well-being of their leaders. Every time I see Greg Zeff, the first thing he says is, how are you doing, man? Are you still are you still doing okay? Because it's the first thing is kind of comforting each other, and it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be 
yeah. that we are, are you still are you still kicking or are you ready to to quit? It shouldn't be that way. So I I think this is something that if anyone's and is that based in San Diego only or are they national as well? Well, I think this time we got lucky. <laughs> I think it's a San Diego and Orange County, but the leaders of the Claros and the Fieldstone are amazing women. Women that can I love. I think they'll be happy to explore other areas and regions. I think a partnership with SCA would be a great thing that we can propose to them. Imagine if you get one SCA leader to take off every year and do this. That'd be fantastic, you know? One thing I, I completely hear you, and I think those those things aren't insignificant. And other institutions, like academic institutions, that's already kind of a given yeah. that they do that. And I think integrating those uh, ingredients of success into you know our our organizations makes total sense. U.S. Squash, when I was there, I had left just before my ten year mark. Mm -hmm. But had I stayed there, I would have had a chance to take uh, three months off and do a sabbatical. Yeah. Those are small things, and really just gives every employee sort of uh, something to look forward to. I agree. So talk through, how did you map out what you were going to go do over your 90 days? Was it immediate? Was there something you had always wanted to do that you're going to go scratch that itch? Or did you research stuff? Like, how did you come up with what your plan is? Both. So, so I'm, I love to travel and I've always been thinking where places I want to do. Some places basically vacation. I didn't want this to be a vacation because it's not. It's a sabbatical which you should connect with yourself. So the place that I chose to do my first five weeks of the of the three months, I'm going to walk the Camino de Santiago, which is a historical walk from the south of France all the way to Santiago de Compostela, which is on the west northwest side of Spain. It's about eight hundred been been thirty miles, uh, uh, sorry, eight hundred thirty kilometers. And I'm starting this. I'm going to France tomorrow, so I am starting. Oh. I'm starting my walk this Sunday on March first. Is when I start. Wow, are you in shape to 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 go walk all that? I want to say that I am, but then I see <laughs> some vlogs on YouTube, and I see that's not an easy thing. But I am, you know, it's not. To be honest with you, Connor, it's not like. I would like, do I want to get to Santiago de Compostela and finish this, this this hike? Of course I do. But it's really a time to to kind of connect and think about it. So if I fall in love with a little town somewhere, I want to stay longer. If I, you know, if I, you know, I, I'm just there to to be and to, to be awake and to listen. So I'm, I'm not worried about, but I think I am going to make it. I'll, time will tell. Let's see. And so I'm sure you've given this a lot of thought. What are you bringing as tools or whether it's drawing or photography yeah. or books that you want to read? What's what's sort of your game plan going into it? Yeah. So the number one thing is no social media, <laughs> lack of cell phone, yeah. lack. This is a, the, the number one thing. I plan to record yeah. one message to my family a day and then not touch the phone for anything else but video and photo. Journaling. I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna write. I. I bought a journal. The, just want to write as much as I can. A lot of listening. A lot of yoga, if I can, to to be quiet and to listen. So it's basically. And it's funny on the preparation to this, Connor. I'm already slowing down. I can see myself the past two mm -hmm. days really getting into a mindset of of slowing down and talking to people. I think in nowadays we connect less and less. The way that we mm -hmm. used to connect, which is talking to people, listening to people, and in this in this walk, there are a lot of characters, and I would like to connect with them. So that's what I'm, I'm doing. It's nothing special. It's actually going simple instead of going fancy, other way around. Do you know anyone else going on the trip, or is this going to be? No, um, I don't know anyone. <laughs> no. Well, you, you mentioned I love all those things, and you know, one thing I've been practicing or. or trying for a long time was meditation yeah. and especially during sports performance I, I i saw the the purpose of it and it really resonated but about five or six years ago i was trying to get back into meditation yeah. and struggling i think it was my competitive aspect of feeling like i was failing or not not able to measure how it was going mm -hmm. so i say that because i think there's a ton of great apps out there that people can follow but one thing that did work for me was breathing techniques yes 
that got me into a meditative state. So Wim Hof is one that I've learned about. Mm-hmm. And I don't quite do what he does all the time, mm-hmm. but anyway, food for thought. Yeah, um, so that's that's something that I'm, I am starting to practice more as well. And the other thing that I kind of, I think it goes hand in glove with that and is is getting closer to your beliefs in terms of religion. I am I'm, I'm I was raised Catholic back in Brazil everyone's Catholic but that has mm-hmm. taken a kind of a backseat in, in in my life and I wanted to I wanted to open that door again and I think it, it, so that's something that I I think that's important for uh, any human to kind of be in touch with their beliefs and in it, it can change it can be different it can be and currently I need I want to up that volume a little bit more I think it would be very beneficial for me and my family yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, spirituality, and I was raised Catholic myself and made some choices to sort of more depart from that. Mm-hmm. But it's also what it's, what it's, and more recently in the past, you know, I think kind of five years is it's still confronting that spirituality yeah. and connection to the universe. And it's, it's been interesting. And it's, and I think it's kind of, it's acknowledging what is, what is going on today, what's happening, but also connecting towards more of yourself yeah. and, and if yeah. you are walking for so if you're walking for eight eight hours a day, often alone, um, going mm-hmm. seeing about, you know, you just start thinking a lot of the, those things, and that was the whole purpose of the Camino is to really, to really take some time to think about and see what happens and allow things to happen to you, in in quiet yeah. and be awake for those things. So that's what I'm. I know it's a little bit different than what we're talking about coaching and all this, but I'm looking for this reconnection in order to give and be the best coach I can be, a leader I can be. I like to be very in touch with myself, and that's the intention of this this, this journey. Yeah. So while you're walking, are you going to be listening to podcasts or or books or what are you? Yeah. Or just lo- absorbing. I download a couple of books. So not a couple. I'll say twenty eight, just in case I'm in. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm stuck. And some are just very, very easy. Like Paulo, you know Paulo Coelho. He's a he's a Brazilian author. They wrote The Alchemist. They wrote some kind of a easy reading books. And some of those, some of his writings about the Camino, which I'm gonna do. So mm-hmm. I I got some of his books. But basically, some some things I always wanted to listen slash read. But but I'm I'm now that I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm thinking I'm probably not gonna be listening to much. I'll be listening to birds. I'll be listening to nature. Yeah. So I, we don't know. If I need some help, I'll put some earbuds on and, and listen to something. Great. Well, I d- I'm mindful of your time. But before we wrap up, there are some, just some questions, like quick fire questions. And they don't have to be quick answers for you, but, you, you know, try and draw, extract more of uh, Renato, the, the person. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Yes. And uh, let's do it. So. Imagine you had to give a TED talk, like the the great things on YouTube that you see. It couldn't be something that you're known for. So squash is obviously out of the question. Yeah. What would be something that you would have to go explore and then share? So kind of like something maybe you've been thinking about doing or have been doing but haven't shared publicly. So what if you had to give a TED talk about, would it be? Wow, that's a good question. So how about this? And take it if it's a good or bad answer. But I, one of my hobbies, I, I do the flying trapeze, like you've seen, no way. You've seen the circus. And yeah. I think that is a great, first of all, great exercise, but it's a great mental challenge and a daily mental challenge. Every time you go up the platform and you hold that bar and you're ready to jump out of it, your demons will come out. There's no way around it. You are going to get a I little bet. scared. And so it's a great way to challenge yourself on a daily basis. I've been flying the trapeze for years and years, and I, I still, I'm 40 years old, and I still work on it. So I'll probably talk about the facing your fears on strange ways, like the flying trapeze. That's awesome. And when did you pick that up? So in my previous life, Connor, I used to work in a resort called Club Med, uh, and I was the tennis tennis pro on different resorts around the world. And then I transitioned to become the flying trapeze guy. I, so I picked up fl- a flying trapeze. I know it sounds so surreal, but that's the truth. So what am I going to say? What, so was this in your 20s or 30s? or Early 20s. Early 20s. Early 20s. Yes. That's and awesome. that's where I met my wife. I was a tennis pro in the Bahamas. And Kim was the, 
windsurfing instructor. So the tennis pro went to the beach and looked at this beautiful American girl and said, oh, there we go. That's uh, that's history. Wow. Love it. So shifting gears into sort of inspiration and what I would like you, if you can share, and it doesn't have to be one, it could be one or two, but if there is any piece of content that is like on the web, whether it's a blog post or a YouTube video or anything that's easily shareable, that has really impacted you and your life and what you think, what would you share? Oh, another good question. So I like to say two quick things and just come to mind. First of all, sure. Teddy Roosevelt quote about being the arena. If you're not mm. familiar with it, he talks about if you want to, if you want to, you know, be in the arena, don't be a bystander. If you want to, if you believe in something, go there and be part of it. It's a beautiful quote that I have it on my office. I had in my house and I read it often. That's one. And the second one is Reina has a beautiful speech on the 20th um, anniversary of SEA. And it's on YouTube. And I think it represents a lot of Urban Squash does to, to the students. And I think those two pieces more on the squash side with Reina Pacheco at the SEA 20th. And then Roosevelt's quote, I think, is brilliant. Love it. Well, I'll try and... Uh try and track those down and we can share yeah. and share as well. Mm -hmm. Two last questions. So what gets you fired up? And this could be either like positive or just like frustrated, but frustration turns into action and it can be in squash world or outside of squash world, Ooh. whichever you want. But what, what really like, you know, I know you're Brazilian yeah. too. So we got, we got, we got, we got a lot of fire going on, but yeah. like what fires you up? Okay. What gets me excited about on the positive side is the is the, the possibilities. If you think about you know how we can lift each other up, really fires me up. I was born Connor on a middle upper class in Brazil. My dad was VP of IBM. I go, I was really lucky, and I realized this big time that I was I played squash because I came from a rich family that could afford squash. I I speak English because my, I was lucky enough that my dad could afford taking me to schools and places. So I know that. That's not, it wasn't me. It was the family I was born. And so what gets me fired up is I would love to give the same equal chance to everyone. That's the reason why I'm in urban squash. Not because I want to make kids play great squash, but I think it's unfair where kids were born. So that gets me really, really fired up. But I want to give you a, a something on, on the squash court because in the day, the squash talk here. What gets me fired up in squash is when when someone tries to kind of trash talk you or kind of on a, or provoke you on a game. I am Brazilian, mm -hmm. so when you poke a Brazilian, you're going to find something. So when <laughs> I remember so many plays matches where someone says, that was a double pickup. No, that I, I thought that, that was good. And he goes, and there's this little thing about like you were cheating or, you, oh man, Ooh. that gets me going because yeah. I read. If it hits your integrity, oh, right? Then I, have, I remember one match, I will not name the person, but I was in the fifth game on an exhibition for charity. It was a real big tournament and I was cooked. I was down the fifth. I was not going to be able to come back and I, and I volleyed and the ball was Great, but it wasn't down. It did not hit hit the tin. And he said, hey, you you were cheat. You were cheat. And I said, there's no way in this universe I'm going to leave this court losing this game to this guy now. Oh, wow. So it's just things like this gets me going. And I don't get I don't get angry. It just gets me like ready to get you fired fight, up. To, to fight. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would share that like anything that sort of it encroaches on my integrity or principles it's like zero to a hundred right yes yeah that definitely yeah i hear you well and the last thing i have and, and this might you, you may already have the answer with your sabbatical but you know is there anything so maybe forecast this way into the future like five or ten years yeah. but is there anything new that you're thinking of trying and why oh yes oh absolutely i am so if you stay with the work work topic here i once we open this new facility in 2021, we have plans to bring Access Youth Academy to um, other locations around us, one being Tijuana, Mexico. That gets me, mm. it will be the first program that I think we have uh, two countries cross-border. 
and that really is something that I I think we can do on a on a kind of a quick timeline and also expand our program to LA. We're already moving and finding some good partners there. There's some good chats going on. So having a a a, a few programs in in LA, in San Diego, in Tijuana is something that I think is my long-term goal here at Access and the board's on board and I think this is something that I can see myself doing for the next 5-10 years. Wow. Well, I feel like that's going to be a, a tough note to top. So we're going to close it out there. And I just want to thank you for your time and all the hard work. It's hard to really encapsulate uh, fully the impact that people like you have had on the fabric of the squash community. And I hope I know how meaningful you've uh, impacted other people's lives. And so thank you for your hard work. And, and, and I'm glad you're taking care of yourself to continue taking care of others. For sure. I want to thank you for inviting me. There's a lot of great people to talk and just to be asked to share a little bit makes means a lot to me. Also want to say that these podcasts, is funny how the reach of these podcasts, that someone started a podcast in Squash back home and their first episode happened uh, this past week and I heard it and I'm very inspired by it and I know... I've, your podcast is, 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 is much more followed by his. And I know that hopefully people can listen to it. And if they take something out of this chat, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, uh, good luck on your journey and we'll be, be sure to stay in touch and thank you again for your you time. You got it, Connor. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for joining us on squash radio. We hope you enjoyed this latest episode. But before you leave, we just have one quick last message. As you know, Squash Radio wants to help tell some of the best stories from Squash World. But in order to do that, we want and welcome your help. Do you know a person or a story that involves Squash that is interesting, funny, moved you, you care about, reflects your passion for the sport? Well, share it with us and let's try and get it out there on the air. You can email me at squashradio at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Again, thanks for your time, and, well, until next time, be well and have fun.